Because there's nothing we still don't analyze, this is MuggleCast episode 222 for March the 6th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 222, as I close the show with. Last week, Mike, Eric, and I here to bring you Harry Potter. We put Harry Potter in your ears and also include a little additive. So you come back next time. So you get addicted and you want more. The additive is sprinkled on. Yes. Sprinkled on top. Seductively. (laughs) And sexually. Hi, Andrew. We have to cook together. (laughs) Why? It's going to be like we can do like a cooking show. You oh. can sprinkle things seductively, and I'll, um, I don't know, provide entertainment. This show is going in the wrong direction to start off. <laughs> we'll use the recipes found in MuggleNet.com's cooking section. Hell Madam yeah. Rosmertas. Keith Hawk. Yes. Yes. Our, our, our lead chef. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured Keith in the apron and funny visual. Um, so <laughs> we have, uh, we have lots of news to talk about today and we're going to bring back some fun segments. People have missed these. Um, we're going to do the dueling club and make the music connection this week. And we're also going to remove a chapter from chapter by chapter because when we do three chapters, we just run out of time for other things. So we're doing two chapters this week, two fun segments, news, emails, two to two, two twos for episode two, two, two. But Micah. You do not have just two news items for us. You have many more. So tell us what's in the news this week. Give it to me. <laughs> we don't say our names anymore. Oh, I'm Andrew Sims. <laughs> I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Micah Tenenbaum. Give it to me. All right. First news story. <laughs> Warner Brothers Studio Tour London finally announced the making of Harry Potter. will open in the spring of 2012. We talked about this. It's been rumored, but now Warner Brothers... Finally puts out a press release on this. And uh, as expected, I think the initial report was Easter 2012, wasn't it? Something like that. So now spring spring, spring 2012. Spring, I think. So right around the same time. And uh, they put out some concept art to give people an idea of what this is actually going to look like. And uh, it seems like it's pretty cool. It's, it's going to do a lot, I think. Uh, for that particular economy there. A lot of people are going to go with the intent now to get up to Leavesden Studios to see this making of Harry Potter. And uh, it seems pretty exciting. What do, what do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, the, the opportunity here is tremendous. Eight films, of course, have been filmed at Leavesden Studio. Eight, all eight Harry Potter films have been shot at Leavesden Studio. And now the fans are actually going to go to Leavesden Studio. By the way, this is a three-hour tour. They announced. I mean, that's hour that, the, you're going to get your money's worth for this thing. I mean, three hours. I imagine they're going to take you. You know, they're going to give you lots of time in the actual sets. Uh, Great Hall, Dumbledore's office, uh, Gryffindor common room. What are some other ones they listed? Well, what haven't um, they torn down? Is the question. You said from from your yeah. reports that a lot of times these sets, uh, w- which take a, an unbelievable amount of time to put together, are 
destroyed in a matter of minutes. Right. They caught striking in the industry because they have to make room for the other sets to continue filming. I bet they're going to continue. I bet they're going to rebuild a few of the sets because they keep all the props and stuff. So I think they're going to rebuild some sets that they have a lot of props for, you know, and and this is all going to be housed. They're actually moving the Great Hall, which is tremendous. (laughs) They're going to pick up the Great Hall and move it um, to this new building. Right, you know, it's still on the Leaves and Studios property. But anyway, I mean, this is going to be fantastic, and I think every Harry Potter fan is going to be dying to go to this. Yeah, um, and how far is it be from on London? Sets. It's about a forty-five minute bus ride, I would say, from to an hour from the center of London or from the from or, center of okay. London. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to be well worth it. I I imagine they're going to have like hotel deals. Oh, of course, so you could probably stay the night like next door to Leaves. And but the interesting thing that they do say is is you have to book in advance. You have to go get your tickets online, which I thought was kind of interesting. You can't just go up and uh, day of request tickets. Well, the reason makes sense so that they can space out the amount of people visiting every day, make sure the groups are the right size. And plus, I mean, you're going to be planning ahead for this trip anyway. It's not like it's in London, so you like visit London and then you're like, oh, because I'm going to go. It's not like a pub. You're not just going to show up. You do, you do have to plan some stuff because you need to take the drive up there. So, so. It's, it's like an afternoon type of deal probably yeah yeah so three hour yeah so i would say the whole thing would whole process would take you five six since hours since you've been there many times andrew i mean how big is leaves in the studios we talked about it's huge yeah it's yeah golf I carts mean, it used right to be an airport hangar um people need golf carts to get around yeah i remember um david Heyman, all the crew they all have their own bikes so they can bike around the set to get around faster um if they're not taking a golf cart and they're not walking they'll take their bike so it's really this is gonna be so amazing. I cannot wait uh, for all the fans' experiences. So we'll we'll have a link up on MuggleNet when tickets do become available, which should be later this year. Yeah, it, this uh, this news post says that it's uh, 200 acres, um, upon which they're building the new Warner Brothers Studios leaves in. Um, so that's that's a lot of space. Yes, it is. Speaking of Warner Brothers, uh, the New York Post reported earlier this week that uh, Warner Brothers made a deal with the Hirschfeld Theater where uh, Dan Radcliffe is going to be starring in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, which would allow Dan to take time off to promote Deathly Hallows Part 2. And uh, the report stated there would be five dark days, meaning no performances, but now the official How to Succeed Twitter account, there's a Twitter account for that already, has revealed that just three previously scheduled performances will go dark. So, you know, when I saw this story, though, I was kind of surprised that Warner Brothers would even have to do this because I'm assuming there is something in his contract that states that he has to be made available for a certain period of time for Deathly Hallows promotion. Yeah, you would have thought they worked this out beforehand. But, you know, he needs to be there for the final film to be promoting. And so, you know, he's only going to be missing three days of performances uh, plus, they take off every Monday, so he could be doing promotional stuff then. I, I, I'm kind of surprised by that. I thought, you know, he would need at least a full week. I mean, because there's going to be promotions all over the world. And, you know, they do. They usually do something in Tokyo, and Dan has appeared at that in the past. Of course, there's going to be something in the United States. There's going to be something in London. Well, if so, it's in New York, I mean, that's a little bit easier for him to manage, I think, because that's where he is right now. Yeah, true. Uh, but plus the um, press junket. I mean, it's a it's a it's lot. It's going to be so. a lot because they're they're. Let's face it, they're going to really really blow this thing out here uh, because it's the last film. Uh, but kind of surprising that uh, a little inside baseball 
information. Yeah, exactly. But uh, speaking of, uh, you know, making a big deal about the final film, Warner Brothers, <laughs> th- these transitions are unbelievable with these first three stories. Warner Brothers, is, they've been having a busy uh, week or two weeks here. They have announced that uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2, the world premiere, uh, is going to be July the 7th. It's going to take place in both Trafalgar and Leicester Square in London, and it's going to be, quote, the most spectacular one yet. Whoa! But they don't really tell you what's going to be so spectacular about it. <laughs> A little tease. It's going to be rain like never before. <laughs> yeah, that too. But, uh, yeah, well, what could I they think the most interesting do? part about this is that they announced it so early. I mean, we've never heard about a premiere this early. Yeah, you were going on about that before. Why do you think it is that they did I that? guess they want a lot of pre-hype uh, premiere hype. Yeah, I, I don't know what else it could be. And I, I doubt we're going to hear many details until, you know, like a month beforehand. So for the next couple of months, we're all going to be wondering, like, okay, so what's going to be so spectacular? But So they actually <laughs> said that. Most spectacular yet. Yes. Wow. Um, actually, I have to say something here about these premieres. They are exciting, but dear listeners, do not be fooled by this, by these promises. I hate to say it. I think most people who go to these premieres are let down. Um, most recently, the New York City premiere, none of the stars even went and met with, um, the fans who were waiting in line all day, with the exception being Tom Felton. Um, apparently it was, they couldn't s- shut the street down, so they didn't want to put the actors out on the street. And I, I th- I'm sure the fans will be meeting, uh, people in London, but, you know, there's going to be a ton of people there. So unless you want to see the stars, don't get really excited. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if, if you're satisfied with just going and catching a glimpse of the stars, cool. But, I wouldn't raise the bar any higher because you'll be disappointed. Yeah, th- this has been Andrew's premiere disclaimer. Uh, basically, is what you I just, just don't want people to no, get their right. hopes up. I, I mean, no, I remember the, for Deathly Hallows Part One, you and I were in New York, and uh, it was really uh, from what the response was that we got. A lot of people emailed in saying that they were really disappointed with how the premiere was handled. You know, the way that it was set up, the fans were you know, across the street that wasn't even blocked off. That was the biggest problem. That's primarily why I think you didn't have those actors and actresses going out to greet the fans was because the way that it was set up, you know, they could get hit by a car. So, you know, Tom (laughs) Felton was the the only one who was willing to risk his life. (laughs) They could all get arrested for jaywalking. And the red carpet was was covered under a tent, so the the fans couldn't even see the stars getting interviewed um, like usual. So, I just want the fans to know, don't... I. if like if you're in the United States and thinking about going to London for this, I would think against it. It's not I just don't want people to be disappointed. I care. Aww. This is actually just my secret plan to make sure nobody attends the premiere so I can have the stars to myself when I wait in line. <laughs> nobody go. Nobody go. That's out of the bag now, Andrew. Before we continue, we'd like to remind everybody that this week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The King's Speech. It's based on a terrific true story, and as most people know, it was recently turned into a film. 
and of course won several Oscars at this year's ceremony. The cool part about the audiobook version is you'll even get to hear the real-life speech, which the film is actually based on. So for a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Well, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1 did not win at the Oscars over the weekend, the two categories uh, that they were nominated in. I believe art direction as well as special effects. Uh, they lost in one category to uh, Alice in Wonderland. I believe that was in the art direction category. And then to uh, Inception in special effects, which I don't think there's really any surprise there. But now the Harry Potter series has been nominated. You know, Five of the seven movies have been nominated multiple times for each, I believe. And they've walked away with nothing. So... You know, again, it starts to stir the pot a little bit. We've had this discussion before on the show. I know there's something else that you guys want to talk about with respect to what happened uh, during the Oscars, but you know, just really quickly, what are your guys' thoughts on them not winning yet again? Well, it's disappointing, but there's other great films. I mean, who did they lose to? I think it was Inception. Yeah, was one of them. Yeah. Well, I just say I, th- I think they lost oh. in art direction. To Alice in Wonderland. They lost oh, okay. uh, special effects was to Inception. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, these other films are groundbreaking as well, so... And I've said it before, like, the Harry Potter film... Maybe I haven't said it before. The Harry Potter films are too blue. They're just just too blue. They're too dark. The the Half-Blood Prince DVD, I can't even watch. It's too visually dark. Not not thematically or anything like that, but you can't... There's no color on the screen. So, I Mm. personally, like, really, if it's compared to the costumes, which Alice in Wonderland won for... Uh, you, you know, it's just it's it's zero comparison because there's there's far more uh, color. I think the, the 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 awards that Harry Potter has been nominated for were not the best awards to like showcase the best parts of those films. Right. Well, and it stayed away primarily from the acting. I mean, you've really seen no uh, actors or actresses nominated for their roles. Which uh, is that the point you're trying to make? Well, there's th- there's that because especially with Deathly Hallows, we all felt that the acting was just taking up so many notches. Yeah, and the other part of the story from the Academy Awards is that Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part One got auto tuned, uh, and it was so funny. Here, let's play. Let, no, please don't. No, let's play. It. Here we go. <laughs> no, I missed this. this. No, I missed please this. don't. I wanted to come I, back uh-huh. as soon as I left. Oh. You're my tiny ball of light. That, that was really disturbing. <laughs> I didn't. I missed that part of the show, but uh, wow! You have to uh, see the video. You have to see the video. I, with... I don't want to see the video. Yeah, I don't either. But I did. The, this, the segment also went into clips from Toy Story, The Social Network, and Eclipse. Okay. Um, I mean, it was a surprise. I'll give it that. <laughs> Nobody knew it was coming. It was nice to see Harry Potter get a little attention at the Oscars, even if it wasn't, you know, the, the most brilliant. But they brilliant shared it spoof. with Twilight. They shared all the space with Twilight. That's like such a, a an insult. 
Micah, what else is going on? I, I just wanted to bring up one more thing uh, from the Oscars when they were doing the uh, award for special effects. What they showed from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 versus what they showed from the other movies I thought was really weak. I don't know who chooses what gets shown, but, for example, they showed uh, Nagini, you know, and, and how that all took effect with him <laughs> slithering down the table. Why wouldn't you showcase the seven potters? Isn't that kind of the, the piece that you would look to promote if you're looking for an award like that? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it even like a real snake? Because I saw that too, where they gradually show reality and then, you know, with green screens and all that into the computer effects. And yeah. they showed like yeah. the snake slithering down the table. And the only thing that was edited was they made the image darker and more blue. <laughs> like, Yeah, it, it didn't really represent, I think, the amount of effort that went into special effects in, in the film. I thought they could have chose a better scene. But uh, anyway... Uh, final bit of news here, and it, it's actually uh, came out now about a week and a half ago that the features have been announced for the Order of the Phoenix and the Half-Blood Prince Ultimate Edition DVDs, and uh, they're going to be released on June the 14th, just in time, uh, f- or you know, a little bit before the release of uh, Part 2. And uh, you know, I kind of looked these over, nothing really jumps out at me. Not not to be a downer on, again, on these, but again, but yeah. no, 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 nothing really jumps out. Nothing, nothing says to me I want to go out and buy this. Well, the one the the cool thing uh, on both of these is the new documentary. As we talked about before, on each of these ultimate editions is one new piece of a eight part documentary, and uh, on Order of the Phoenix one, there's something called Evolution. It's an hour long, by the way. And on the Half-Blood Prince edition, there's the magical effects. So I, I guess Evolution is going to deal with like the actors growing, maybe? I'm not sure. Probably. Or just like the Harry Potter franchise growing. Yeah, we, we thought that this would be the case where they showed... Because, I mean, they, in each of these documentaries, they, they show clips from all eight films, right? I mean, you know, typically like working on like the first one, you know, being the score and stuff was easiest to show first because a lot of the scoring happened earlier in the series and now they're, you know, not reusing those themes, but taking off. So, so I feel like this, these, these documentaries, and I haven't seen them for the other extended editions. I want to, but I feel like they're the only bit of effort, the only scrap of effort that actually goes into these extended editions. And I, I feel so horrible about these extended editions. I have zero interest in ever purchasing them. I think they're a waste yeah. of discs. They're, they're, there's of, too, too many, and the yeah. features are just nil. I, I agree with you, and, and part of the reason why I think that is is because so much of this stuff has already been released. Like, If you look, for example, on Half-Blood Prince, you have J.K. Rowling, A Year in the Life. People have already seen that. Uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter sneak peek. People have already seen that. Uh, you know, and then even some of these things that I'm reading right now, it looks very similar to stuff that have been on past DVDs. Like the Half Blood Prince DVD, I think had those Q and A sort of those quick questions that uh, the the actors and actresses were being asked. You know, so it seems like a lot of this stuff is repurposed. It doesn't seem like there's anything new or exciting about it. All right. Well. Uh, guys, I just wanted to let you know one thing real quick. This is the real me, uh, but you won't be hearing from me often. I'm afraid as pen and paper are still my priority at the moment. Pen and paper? <laughs> what are you writing? What are you writing, Micah? Is it poetry? I'm writing a book, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, no, not poetry. No. No, um, I'm, I actually st- thought of uh, 
you know, write a little book, see uh, if I can make the New York Times bestseller list. Ooh, like uh, like your cohorts, like uh, Ben and uh, Emerson, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I figured, why not? They can do it. I can do it. <laughs> Good for you. So, Good luck with that. But honestly, I mean, what the f- guys? Are you <laughs> kidding me? This is <laughs> How many times Micah. are you going to repeat the same tweet over and over uh, again? Apparently four times, Micah. That seems to be about right. Four times, yes. Four yeah. times. Four well, times that, J.K. Rowling about right. has said, pen and paper are my priority. And they're about six months apart. And she did it. So she did it again. That's that's where that's where all this is coming from, right? So August. But surely there's a message within these tweets. Yeah, yeah, there is actually. I, I <laughs> so guys, during the past week since our last episode of MuggleCast, I, I went and I pulled, I put some of J.K. Rowling's tweets, this pen and paper are my priority, into an anagram database, and it turns out the phrase pen and paper are still my priority. Uh, it turns out to be in an anagram, uh, quote, impartially perspire on pedantry. Pedantry is the art of inappropriate learning, I believe, a, de- a devotion to learning that is beyond so, reason. So, I, so repeat that again? Impartially... What's the anagram? Impartially, impartially? perspire on pedantry. So J.K. Rowling, maybe the idea... Maybe the reason she's been tweeting the same thing four times is because we're supposed to get a clue. Oh, maybe we're maybe there's more to these that tweets she's than we sweating think. Sweating on learning. Well, let's hire a research team who can pick apart every word possible in that anagram. Well, and surely there's a message. What there. I found to be interesting is that this most recent tweet she capitalized all caps still, and she added that word still my priority. So that's why I think that this anagram is superior. I think poor Joe just doesn't know what twitter's about yeah. i mean it doesn't the whole purpose of twitter is that it doesn't take long to tweet so you know she could just be like hey guys happy to have been at the um what was she at the baptist uh hey i was really touched by you know stuff like that just you know well there's no reason the, the thing is everybody who you know follows her and 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 is interested in what she's doing you know, they they already know about what she said at the BAFTAs, so it was kind of weird that she basically just tweeted and, and said nothing of any relevance whatsoever. You know, why even put that out there? So, like I was saying before, based on her, her time in between tweets, she will uh, tweet again sometime around August, early September. <laughs> well, when she does... Uh, by the way... We put a poll on MuggleNet asking how many more times will JKR tweet the same message before tweeting something new. 23% said this is the last time. 41% said one to three more times. 11% said four to six more times. And 23% said seven or more times. So well, she's only we on, may be in this for a while. She's only on tweet six. So that's what I, I suggested um, on the news post of MuggleNet. Yeah. Is tweet number seven going to be the tweet? Where she announces everything she's been doing lately ah. in 140 characters or less and completely blows us out of the water. Lucky number seven. Isn't seven well, the most magically powerful number, Andrew? I think for Micah's sake, the seventh tweet should definitely be a, a big one because Mike is very frustrated, as we heard when he introed this item. Look, the, here's the thing. If you're going to have a Twitter account, I understand you initially created it because people were pretending to be you. 
but let's put something relevant up there. Let's let's stop doing this to the fans. I know you listen to the show, so I'm asking you, you know, on my behalf for my sanity, for, for your fan sanity, stop sanity. tweeting. <laughs> yeah, for their sanity. Wow. Well, so, are you insane right now? And were you will you yeah, not insane. become sane until absolutely she tweets something worthwhile? Huh? Absolutely. I'm, she drives me crazy, Andrew. I think our newsman needs to be committed. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. you knew that a long time ago. <laughs> And we can... Okay. Well, All right. Let, that's... Let's let's get off this before I before I go off on another you know rant here. So that's it for news this week. We uh, want to remind everybody before we move into our dueling clubs dueling club segments that we will be at LeakyCon 2011. Just visit LeakyCon.com to get details. We will be doing a couple of podcasts there, and it's going to be so much fun. There's going to be a dance. There's going to be a private party in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. All of the biggest Harry Potter fans together are going to be going to see um, the movie, part two, midnight release at LeakyCon. Uh, it's just going to be fantastic. You've heard us talk about it before. When you go to LeakyCon.com, you'll want to um, check out you know, all the details. They, they still have many more to announce, too. That's the most exciting thing. And uh, when you go to register, just use referral code MUGGLE. And uh, that way, we'll get a better tally of how many MuggleCast fans will be there. And we can't wait, really. Are I mean, we doing a podcast? Be... Yeah, that's what I said. Oh. The, this, um, I think the exciting thing about doing I a podcast there... I thought we were just going there... on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're working too, um, darn. The most exciting thing about um, doing a podcast there is that it's going to be our part two review podcast. And everybody remembers how... Um, Heated our part one podcast. <laughs> we'll have podcast to Skype where, in Richard. Yeah. So, so to have it, so to do it in front of an audience will be very exciting because we'll be able to get feedback from people. People will not have to email us their frustration with our review. They'll just, they'll just be able to yell at us, right? In well, front I of our saw. Well, it only be yelling, it only be yelling at me because uh, I was the only one, I think, out of the two of you that really gave it a negative review. It's true. So again, visit LeakyCon.com. It's going to be July 13th to the 17th in Orlando, Florida, right on the resort where the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Andrew, is. Andrew, I got a and bone to pick with you. So even the Leaky newsletter said that we're going to be at Leaky, but details are forthcoming. Details are still in planning phase. How long are they going to still be in planning phases? I want to know when well, the Leaky we just haven't, mug is. We just haven't really talked about it oh. yet, but we, we will be at LeakyCon. I mean, that's for sure. Right. We just haven't figured out what day and time the podcast will be and all that. Don't worry, we'll, we'll do a show, Eric. It's okay. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. We will be doing and, and a show. Andrew, Even if we have to sit in one of the hallways and sit around a laptop, <laughs> yeah, Andrew, people can look, watch us. I, but I just wanted to, to get this out there right now. Uh, it's much different doing a live show, so I will, of course, agree with whatever the fans have to say uh, You know, when we're in front of them. But... Should we you return, don't want to face their wrath. Should we you return feel more comfortable <laughs> hiding behind your desk in New York City. Exactly. Now, now should we do a show after the uh, the convention and, and there's something that I might have disagreed with, then then I may voice my opinion. Now, people want to hear the no, critiques. I, I, I mean, you don't have to be yeah, brutal. People do like, um, people do like the, the, the change in pace. Honest I, I got Well, I got to say, like, when I released the, the review and when we talked about it on the show, too, the, the fact that Richard was so against a lot of Deathly Hallows and, and that you guys, for the most part, I think both of you did agree with many of his points or have your own points to say um, against the film. And I think people really responded to that. That's partially why everybody was so passionate and we did uh, the next episode like a couple days later just because we've gotten so much response and i think that was a large part due to we were all critical and we all had different opinions like genuine different opinions on the film so um 
I hope that's the same, I guess, for part two, or I hope it's not the same for part two. I don't know. Let's move on now to the Dueling Club. I think the last time we did this was with producer David Heyman, when he was awfully confused until you guys, uh, until Micah, you know, led the way. And lost. Um, so if, in case anyone doesn't know how this works, this is a little fun segment where uh, two hosts each pick a character out of the blue, and we decide who would win in that duel. So I would like to go first. Who wants to duel me and my character? Let's go, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> if I can take on okay. David. Well, actually, David Heyman kicked my ass last time. So <laughs> That's true. I will select Sirius Black. All right. I will select uh, Karkaroff, keeping in the theme of uh, our chapter-by-chapter discussion. Ooh, very nice. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I, is Karkaroff an Animagus? No, he's not. Not to our <laughs> oh. knowledge. Okay, excellent. Well, here's the first advantage. Sirius Black is an Animagus. He can, um, when the, he could turn into a dog and bite Karkaroff's long neck. He's a very <laughs> tall man. So he's, he's a lot, uh, of places where he could bite Karkaroff. And also, let's not forget, he was very clever during his Hogwarts days. I mean, he, he created the Marauder's Map for crying out loud. This is a very clever man who worked with, of course, James Potter. And yes, he was a troublemaker, but so was Karkaroff. And um but Sirius has the upper edge because he is a he's he is a masterful magi- magician despite um being hit by Beldrix and dying. Hmm. Well he's alive for for our purposes now. Um Right, of course. course. But I'm just oh, saying he, lives on he has one podcast. flaw, which is that Bellatrix no, thing. Yeah. Uh well Karkaroff is a is a former Death Eater and, and he could you know, surely use his powers uh, against Sirius Black. If if Sirius wasn't able to uh, take down Wormtail, who is by far the the, the most uh, inept of any of the Death Eaters, uh, he's he's definitely going to have a problem with somebody like Karkaroff. And uh, you know, if, if Sirius decides to turn into a, a dog, Karkaroff could just you know, here, puppy, puppy, and wham, right on top of the head. <laughs> Uh, he would wow, never see it coming. Be so stupid. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, come on. Uh, Karkaroff was in Voldemort's inner circle. Sirius, uh, you know, is immature at times, and and I think that uh, you know, uh, and plus Karkaroff teaches at at the school where uh, Grindelwald once went. So, uh, mm. and he's the headmaster there. So, uh, Sirius is uh, you know a little bit too uh, too foolish and uh, inexperienced after spending all this time. Uh, look what happened against Bellatrix. He should have been more prepared. Yeah, but he put up a good fight. He was he was in the Marauders, and he was also in the Order of the Phoenix. I mean, he had great defensive skills. I don't know. I'm going to have to hand this one to Micah. I mean, he is the headmaster of the School for Dark Arts, so I don't know. I think Micah may have won this. They're just the repertoire, for the for no other reason. The repertoire of spells would be greater. I think Micah wins. Uh, You're just Micah, all you for animal cruelty, something? aren't you? Who's yeah? We gotta we gotta break out the Sarah McLaughlin here. I, I feel like uh, there are animals caged that need our help somewhere. Now, Mike and Eric Tool. Eric, you select the first character, and uh, Michael will have his. Right. Go I ahead. got Gilderoy Lockhart, Barty Crouch Senior. <laughs> Ooh, all right. So Barty Crouch Senior and Gilderoy Lockhart. So Eric, I think why would Lockhart win against Barty Crouch Senior? Well, we know that Gilderoy Lockhart. Um, is a bit of a fraud at times in certain certain areas, but uh, the research that went into Gilderoy Lockhart's book, his his ability to 
covertly perhaps move in and steal the identities of uh, his charges and uh, not to mention the memory charms um, make him a, a pretty competent thief. And I think for that reason, um, because he, he is a doer, it must have taken uh, a certain degree of planning and, and a lot of a higher degree of acting to pull off what Gilderoy did, um, especially with so many, so many publications and uh, awards for Most Charming Smile. I think that uh, Gilderoy Lockhart is a very talented sleuth who would be able to overcome uh, somebody with his powers of deception. Did you read Chamber of Secrets? Uh, okay, never once, mind. Go once, ahead, Mike. Twice, maybe. <laughs> Uh, well, look, all, my my only response to this is that Barty Crouch Sr. would just simply have to hold up a mirror, and then Gilderoy Lockhart would stare in it the whole time during the <laughs> duel, and Barty Crouch Sr. can do whatever he wants. That's my defense. Uh, I think well, that may be he would enough. get lost uh, within himself, which would allow uh, you know Barty Crouch to just you know he could he all he would have to do is like you know take out. Uh, I don't. I don't even know. He'd just trip him or, or knock him over. Or, or, I mean, <laughs> he would be so enamored by seeing himself in the mirror that uh, he would be lost. All right. Well, Gilderoy Lockhart dresses I, better. I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, you know, this is what you get for making me lose. I do have to give it to Micah. Uh, I think Lockhart is a very hard person to defend. He is very full of himself, as Micah pointed out, and he's just not that great of a wizard. And it's proven by the fact that he had to make up all his, all of his stories rather than or, or get the stories from other people rather than you know do them himself. Now, now if you had said that that he could have uh, you know used a memory charm somehow on on Barty Crouch Senior because you know Barty Crouch Senior ends up getting uh, you know put under the Imperius curse very easily or you know we don't know but we find that out later in the book. So you know, maybe he's susceptible to certain uh, spells. That would have been my hmm. defense of him. Interesting. Well, Micah, you, I think I have to say you've redeemed yourself. I mean, you, you did lose to, did very well to David today. Heyman, but you beat both of us uh, with flying colors. Well, so. da- David and I will meet again. <laughs> I think, we'll, I think we'll so. We'll have to have him back the on premiere, the show. At the premiere, you should be like, David, it's time to duel we'll, we'll get him. <laughs> Let's we'll get go. him back on the show. And it'll be like, you, you want to admit defeat again? <laughs> It'd be funny if you remembered. You want to defeat, uh, admit defeat again, Micah. <laughs> okay, now let's move on to chapter by chapter. This week we're looking at Goblet of Fire chapters 30 and 31. Two very long chapters, by the way. They are long. Yeah, it's very insightful that we only did two this week. Yes, I, I planned that all along. <laughs> well, hopefully we can move through them like we can with two other, you know, normal chapters, because that's the whole point of doing this, <laughs> cutting it down to two chapters. Okay, Eric's got the first chapter, The Pensieve. <laughs> the first chapter uh, that we're doing today, so chapter 30 is called The Pensieve, and it takes place, uh, obviously, right after chapter 29 leaves off. Harry is going to Dumbledore's office, um, and it begins, Harry uh, has kind of been discovered by Mad-Eye Moody, whose eye can see through doors, um, and Harry is in Dumbledore's office. He needs to talk to Dumbledore. He wants to tell Dumbledore about the dream he had. Um, but first, they leave him. It's, it's, it's Fudge, Moody, and Dumbledore. And Dumbledore says, I'll be right back. They're going to go search the grounds, um, I believe, for Barty Crouch. So pretty soon, Harry is unattended in Dumbledore's office. And it is said that this is the second time Harry was in 
Dumbledore's office. I guess the first time was in year two. I think it's actually the third time, though, because he was in Dumbledore's office twice during year two. You know, earlier on when he's called in for questioning about um, Nearly Headless Nick, and then at the end of the book. But regret. Yeah, it is interesting because um, you would have thought, or like having read all the books now, it's like, oh, wow, he's in his fourth year and this is only the second, third time. So. And that's that, that, that adds fuel to a question I have. So, um, you know, later, later on, but this is, uh, Harry feels really comfortable in Dumbledore's office. Like he's, he's just, he's relieved, he's patient, and he begins looking around and he sees all these old relics like the Sword of Godric Gryffindor, the Sorting Hat, Fox, obviously, and all the portraits of previous headmasters of Hogwarts sleeping. Is this, I, I guess it's a pretty somber place, but why does Harry feel so comfortable in, in Dumbledore's office, even even when Dumbledore's not there, I think it's well. He he looks up to Dumbledore as a mentor and I think a father figure in some way, and I think he just feels safe there. I mean, he's in the headmaster's uh, office, the one of the most powerful wizards in the wizarding world, and to see all these important items surrounding him, um, and, and, you know, there's just a sense of security and uh, hope and wisdom. Yeah, no, I, I think Andrew, you you pretty much uh, hit it on the head. Okay. I don't have anything to add. So there's uh, Harry notices then a shimmering light, and he tries to place it, and he finds like a half-open cupboard, and inside the cupboard is the pensive, and Harry doesn't want to touch it at first, so he, he pokes it with his wand, but he's like, okay, I have way too much experience, I don't know what this is, I'm not going to touch it. Well, he looks closely, and the closer he looks into the pensive, he begins to see figures, and a circular, um, what ends up being a courtroom. So, the closer he gets, eventually his nose is touching the pensive, which is when he actually finds himself sucked completely in. Um, now, this would be kind of out of the ordinary to anybody else. But Harry immediately, like, realizes that he's in a memory, which I thought was interesting, but he uses the process of elimination. Basically, as soon as he gets there, he finds himself next to Dumbledore, and Dumbledore doesn't look too much younger, so he tries to say, hey, Dumbledore, I'm sorry, I'm in your memory, Uh, but Dumbledore doesn't recognize him. So Harry waves his hand in front of Dumbledore, Dumbledore doesn't respond, and Harry's like, oh, wait, I've been here before in in, like, a memory, and this is what this has to be. So I thought that was really interesting that Harry is able to use his experience, obviously from Riddle's diary when he was in the memory of Hagrid getting uh, caught. Uh, what uh, what do you guys think of this? His, his he's like very sharp at times. You mean just in terms of his ability to recognize where he is? Yeah. Know, why? What kind of intelligence does that take? What does it take? Well, I mean, uh, how often do you find yourself in a memory? This is true, but... Well, never in his yeah, case. <laughs> Yet. It, it obviously plays a, a larger role later on in the books, but, uh, you know, just sort of having that curiosity, though, to, you know, stick your head in this thing that you've never really uh, experienced before, and, uh, I, I mean, it is pretty good deduction on his part, but at the same time, I, I think we don't give Harry enough credit. You know, it's always Hermione is the one who... Is is the one with the smarts, and we don't ever think really that Harry can figure out things on his own. But in fact, he does multiple times in the series, and this is just one of those examples. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll, I'll give Harry uh, credit with my next point here. Then the uh, 
the first memory that Harry finds himself into is the trial of Igor Karkaroff, who just won our dueling club uh, a couple minutes ago here on MuggleCast. Uh, Karkaroff is He's still is going being... to jail, though. <laughs> he's still going to jail. So he, he's, uh, he's brought into the courtroom. It is a courtroom, uh, presumably at the Ministry of Magic. He's brought in by some Dementors and strapped to a chair to present evidence against... Uh, other wizards. And Barty Crouch Sr. shows up, and he's sort of the, the administrator of this trial. And Karkaroff begins rattling off names of uh, people who he believes to be Death Eaters. Um, now, it's interesting because Harry is listening to this uh, pretty intently, but the first few names that Karkaroff gives off are actually names of people who have either died or been captured. And so, needless to say... Karkaroff's information that's supposed to uh, sort of free him from Azkaban, essentially. Um, we hear from Mad-Eye Moody, who's also there, that uh, Barty Crouch has, has, has made a deal. But um, Harry begins to notice, like, and it's just referenced several points, that, that Karkaroff is, is upset that these people are already dead, and, and, and he can see the, the fear. Harry really focuses on the fear on Karkaroff's face that he does not want to go back to Azkaban for having no useful information at all. And I just thought this was a very interesting insight into Harry's character because he almost immediately, like, it's not questioning. He doesn't necessarily, he doesn't feel like Karkaroff's a bad guy the way he does, you know, perhaps with Snape. Like, he, he just seems to really get into his head and be like, oh, this guy really doesn't want to go back to Azkaban. I can understand that. So. And also, this is the first time you've seen Karkaroff in a, a weak, um, state or like a, a hurt state i mean you can actually you vulnerable state that's what i'm trying to say you know so i think that's striking to harry too because every other time you've seen him harry he's been really angry for one reason or another that's true snape though is different entity completely though i think that you know if you look at snape he's always been on harry's you know bad side since day one and you know karkaroff hasn't been nice to harry by and large but he's only known him for what a couple of months. So, uh, you know, I think Harry is a little bit less directly connected to Karkaroff than he is to Snape, you know, to kind of draw on that example that you brought up before. Okay. Huh. So when, when the, uh, Dementors are, are in the courtroom, um, we hear Dumbledore tell Mad-Eye Moody that he doesn't, uh, like Dementors, or Mad-Eye Moody's like, oh, I forgot, Albus, you don't like Dementors. And Dumbledore admits this and says that, um, he says that he has long felt, quote, the Ministry is wrong to ally itself with such creatures. W- why doesn't Dumbledore like Dementors? Well, I mean, as we see, they don't always follow the rules. I mean, w- what was the most recent instance where Dumbledore gets angry that they... Wasn't there a time or two where he gets angry at the Dementors for not following rules? Was it because they went on Hogwarts grounds or something Yeah, like they that? didn't follow his rules. Oh, I guess it was the previous year. Um, you, you, they're very impulsive. They, they want souls. Like they're not, they're not, uh, really, you can't reason with them almost because they're not really of, not of this world, but they are kind of outside the rules of, of humans. And yeah, I mean, if you just think about it, like the ministry prior to it falling apart was an upstanding organization and to have these dreadful things like, uh, Dementors as allies, it's kind of like, 
why they're so you know is the is it maybe Dumbledore's thinking there must be a better way for mm. you know uh, there must be an alternative to Dementors that aren't so uh, yeah soul yeah you ever heard of prison <laughs> guards like I mean <laughs> I understand it it adds a different dimension to it but who who's the one who says they're among the foulest creatures to walk the earth or something along those lines was that a movie yeah. line or it could have uh, been in the I, books too yeah I think it is but. I mean, prison guards, you're right. I, I think there are so many horrors that we learn about in this chapter and, and other chapters, too. Like, the the prison guards would have to be ours. Like, there's no getting out of that. But I think the Dementors add such such an interesting dimension because the, these these people are, are mentally, like, withdrawn, and, and they're feeding on their happy thoughts in a way. Um, well, I think the other side of it, too, though, is that Dumbledore constantly looks for the good in people. So regardless of crimes committed, I think that, you know, even whatever is remotely good in these people, because there has to be something somewhere, uh, it's it's being taken away by the Dementors. Oh, so, so there's no chance for redemption. That's really good. Um, and also, I... I that, quote, wh- that quote was said by Lupin, by the way, in Prisoner. Oh, okay. okay. Thanks. I looked really it up. Um, oh, yeah. No emails on that. <laughs> we stopped them right here. Um, I don't know if it's just the book or Don't movie, send though, emails. <laughs> no, it's fine. We really don't like your emails, people. Um, but no, I, I thought, well, I guess Dumbledore probably doesn't have that many happy memories himself to relive or unhappy. You know, like Harry hears his parents' death. What do you think Dumbledore hears? Well, probably Ariana, like his sister, right? So. Yeah. That can't have been nice. All right. Well, no verdict is given. Uh, oh no, I skipped a note. Hang on. So, um, basically, Karkaroff, uh, the, the memory of Karkaroff, uh, segues into a new memory, and Harry very acutely perceives the difference. It's like, uh, the, the line in the book is like, Harry knew immediately that this was another memory, another time, another place. So, basically, Mad-Eye Moody, who didn't, who actually had both of his eyes in the first, uh, first memory, now has his magical eye, uh, broken nose, and, and Dumbledore is described as being, um, either younger or older as well. And, basically, the, the second memory is not in the film. It features Ludo Bagman being taken in or brought in for questioning, um, about information that he passed to uh, Rookwood. Now, Rookwood is the guy, Augustus Rookwood is one of the guys, one of the names that uh, Karkaroff had mentioned in this, this uh, in the first memory, and now Bagman is being brought in and questioned for passing information that uh, eventually went to the Death Eaters. The interesting thing about this memory, like, it, it kind of plays like a, a, um, a press release almost because uh, fans fans of Bagman's and the audience are are like stopping the trial to congratulate him on his most recent Quidditch match. So it's kind of a joke. I I don't really know what else there is with this second um, memory. What did you guys think while reading this? Well. I think obviously it was omitted from the film because Ludo Bagman is omitted from the film. Uh, and I think, isn't it later learned that he was under the Imperius curse and, and that's why he did in fact pass the information along. It was almost unknowingly that he did that. Uh, so it, again, I mean, I, I think this was a time where they were just gathering people to, to, to ensure that they could put away as many potential death eaters that as they could. Mm-hmm. That's okay, what I took away the, from it. Yeah. 
So, so the, well, then the mood really changes between the second and the third memory. Um, the third and final memory that Harry witnesses is uh, takes place after Voldemort's downfall, and uh, we learn that Frank and Alice Longbottom were tortured by Death Eaters, uh, who were apparently looking to discover the current whereabouts of Voldemort. Um, so I was confused because I didn't remember the torture of Alice Longbottom being taking place after Voldemort's downfall. I had the uh, 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 impression that Voldemort went to Lillian James to find Lillian James Potter as a result of hearing the prophecy, and that he sent his Death Eaters to Frank and Alice Longbottom's. Uh, to deal with them, because both, as we know, both families were potential candidates for the prophecy. Um, but I just had the 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 impression that this happened sooner than after Voldemort had already died. Um, but apparently that wasn't the case. So then my question is, why if if Voldemort keeps things to himself, like he doesn't have friends, he doesn't trust people. Why target Frank and Alice Longbottom at all? Oh, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, so you're saying that uh, the Longbottoms were tortured post-downfall of Voldemort, as opposed this, to the same night. Yeah, this book says, uh, well, actually, the reason is given. Barty Crouch Sr. gives the reason that they were looking for the whereabouts of their master. Is as the, as the reason why they tortured Frank Longbottom first, and then his wife Alice later when Frank wouldn't give. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that uh, I'm afraid to answer because I feel like I'll end up uh, causing getting an email emails to come in. But I don't. I w- what's the significance of it not happening sooner? Well, the fact that uh, you know. Why do they target Frank and Alice? Like, they wouldn't know where Voldemort was any better than any other defender of Voldemort. Like, it's almost like... Well, I mean, maybe it's just that then. They were just getting desperate to to find some information. So, you know, they were going after anyone they could. I mean, the Death Eaters never really ever have a justifiable excuse for the most part. That's I mean, true. you know, for, for a normal witch or wizard. To find nor uh, a good justification. Yeah, okay. Bellatrix this- is just off a rocker. And yeah, right. Bellatrix is just That's nuts too. True. So. She lost the love of her <laughs> life. She's going to go crazy. You're right. Well, well, why, why, were they, why then were Frank and Alice taken? Because again, they're the strongest witches and wizards. Like, I think it's 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 said that they uh, were, uh, you know, relieved that everybody thought since Voldemort was gone, everything was safe. Um, but Frank and Alice Longbottom, like. They're still the best at what they do. They were in hiding from Voldemort. They were fighting Voldemort, and and they thrice defied him. Let's not forget. So why were they taken so easily and tortured by uh, these 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 amateur or not amateur, but I uh, these Death Eaters who aren't Voldemort? If they can defend themselves against Voldemort, you'd think they could handle a couple of Death Eaters, right? Especially if one of them's a teenage boy, Barty Crouch Jr. They could have just been caught off guard too. Yeah. So, mild plot point: Barty Crouch Jr. Uh, is uh, proclaims his innocence. This whole trial, he even appeals to his mother. He says, "Mother, um, you know, you know, I'm innocent. I'm not innocent. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, mother." Um, Barty Crouch's mother, Barty Crouch Sr.'s wife, is sitting right next to Barty Crouch Sr. and is crying and leaning and leaning back and forth. And eventually, she faints, um, which is a plot point for later. Um, so, not many more points for this chapter. We did, however. A couple of episodes of MuggleCast get, uh, we, we kind of petitioned, uh, the listeners to send in, 
um, to send in essays on the chapters that we would be doing. Andrew, do you want to talk about that? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, well, I mean, we have an essay here from Rachel M., uh, and she contrasts Harry's reaction to Barty Crouch Jr. in his pensive experience with his continued suspicions for Snape. She wrote to us, quote, Snape, who from the first instance is described as ugly, with greasy hair and a hooked nose, looks the part of the villain, and although his unpleasant behavior disguises his heroic actions, Harry is quick to judge appearances as real. Throughout the series, Harry encounters many characters that are not what they appear to be, most notably by this point in the series, Sirius Black. And yet when they faced with the, and yet when faced with the choice, Harry chooses to believe Snape is villainous. Barty Crouch Jr., on the other hand, is described as a boy in his late teens who looked nothing short of petrified. He was shivering, his straw-colored hair all over his face, his freckled skin milk white. This description of a fair young boy contrasts harshly against the dark, solemn Snape in his appearance of fear and proclamations of innocence easy sway, easily sway Harry into believing him to be guiltless. And, and, you know, that's just the classic lesson. Don't judge a book by its cover. As Harry does. <laughs> and that's that's really her point in this essay. So we'll post that essay. Um, I believe Noah will be posting it. Is that right, Micah? Yeah. Uh, if it's not already posted, and, uh, you know, obviously we'll put a link to it in the show notes. She does a great job uh, Excellent. with uh, contrasting these two. And, uh, yeah, so uh, thanks for sending that in. Yeah, really. I, I think it was good. It caught us in the right time, obviously, before we recorded the episode. So um, please continue to do that, too, because I, I liked reading this, and I think incorporating it into the chapter was um, pretty easy to do because we were talking about, you know, Harry and, and Karkaroff and how he felt about him. Um, last note for the chapter, uh, after the third memory, Harry sees two Dumbledores uh, next to him. One of them is the Dumbledore from the past, and the other one is the Dumbledore from the present who has come back from the walk on the grounds. Uh, Dumbledore uh, asks Harry, shall we? And takes him back out of the pensive. Um, they do have a talk and uh, find out a little bit more about memories, um, but I actually wanted to break down the word pensive. Um, because this is kind of what interested me most about the chapter. Sure, a lot of plot happens, but the word pensive um, could possibly come from a combination, a mashup of two words. The first being pensive, which is an adjective. It means brooding or deeply or seriously thoughtful. A thoughtful or reflective state, especially if sad or melancholic. So we've heard of people being pensive, described as being pensive, a very pensive uh, reaction um, means to be deep in thought, and then the second word, sieve, yeah, sieve, so s i e v e, is a noun, and a sieve or sifter separates wanted elements from unwanted material using a filter such as mesh or net. Um, the example is to di- or to distinguish and separate out, sift through the job candidates is a sieve. Um, people use Andrew. I know you mentioned cooking. So you use a, a sieve in baking at all with flour? Uh, no, can't say I do. Well, if you did bake, you certainly might <laughs> use a sieve. And uh, so those two words, pensive and sieve, make pensive, which is a memory sifter. <laughs> You know, I was also doing my own uh, word meanings research the other day, and did you know Dumbledore means bumblebee? I, I did. It's French, isn't it? Oh, I didn't know that, no. so I wanted to share. <laughs> that took me about an hour to figure out. <laughs> you could have gone to our word origin section. Our on name Mobile origins page. Yeah, name origins. Oh, <laughs> darn. I'm just kidding. All right, Micah, 
chapter 31, the third task. Number three, the big one, the finale. The third task, yeah. I've, I've, I was able to make it through the three tasks before this. Remember that? And the unexpected task. The unexpected <laughs> task, yeah. So the three before this. And, uh, so the chapter starts out with the trio discussing what Harry saw, uh, in the Pensieve, uh, and, uh, everything uh, as we've talked about so far, from Snape being a Death Eater, uh, to Bagman passing along information. And, uh, I thought it was interesting with with Hermione because you see for a moment she's kind of got her head in her hands and uh, I I thought it had a little bit to do with Snape because when you look at Snape, this is really the first indication that he's not who Hermione necessarily thought he was. You know, she put a lot of trust in him because Dumbledore put a lot of trust in him. Now you find out that he is a Death Eater or a former Death Eater. So I think it was a little bit of a knock on her that Harry and Ron in a way, were right, and she was wrong. Oh, yeah. She hates it. Yeah, that he was actually a Death Eater. I, I missed that point, actually, in the previous chapter, that Dumbledore confirms Snape, in fact, was a Death Eater um, at one point, and then says that he <sighs> changed sides, went spy for his own, at, at great personal cost to himself. Right. They they also discuss Fudge's accusations against Madame Maxime, and we talked about that a little bit in the last episode, how Fudge is willing to really, you know, turn a blind eye towards being somewhat racist because the easy option is, is not necessarily to go and, and look after uh, a Death Eater, former Death Eater and Karkaroff being responsible for this, but in fact... Oh, it's got to be the half giant. It's got to be the half breed uh, who's responsible uh, for doing this. So a little bit of bigotry on his part, uh, which you know somebody in his position of power shouldn't have. But as we've seen through history, they traditionally do. Um, and uh, you know, as Harry goes up uh, to bed after the, they're done discussing, we really start to see the effects of Voldemort uh, on the rest of the wizarding world. Harry has this moment where he looks over at Neville and he realizes that Voldemort has destroyed Neville's family. Um, you know, He can't imagine what it's like to have two parents who don't even recognize you. They don't know who you are. And he also, you know, and, and this goes back to your point a little bit, uh, Eric before, you know, when he has that moment almost feeling sorry for Karkaroff going back to Azkaban, he thinks about the Crouches, too, and how Voldemort destroyed their family, you know, by recruiting Barty Crouch Jr. So, you know, all this ties back in the end to Voldemort and how he's really destroyed so many families throughout the Wizarding World. Do you, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, obviously, he kills people. But even sort of on, on, on the Death Eater side, he's ripped apart those families too. I mean, look at how it plays out with the Malfoys, uh, throughout the series. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Voldemort, um, that's a, that's a really good point, actually, because even the people, uh, I think it, it, the payoff is obviously the Malfoys, where we do see even their family, they despise him once, once the end of the, the series arrives. Um, but yeah, I think, I think not just that Voldemort is death and destruction personified. Um, that's not enough. The fact of the matter is the people who support him go to such lengths to support him. And I really feel that that's what Joe is, 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 is that, that she's obviously aware of that in, in her writing, um, to, well, to draw the allegory for whatever purposes. I, well, I think the allegory is what's going on in the real world. Uh, there's people who dedicate themselves to world leaders 
uh, you know, as we see kind of what is going on right now um, in the Middle East with, I mean, there's people rebelling, but there are also people who are really dedicated to their leader, no matter how corrupt they may be. But well, another thing I wanted to point out in this chapter that may go a, l- a little bit unnoticed is, you know, a lot of the training that the trio is doing in particular for this third task uh, really prepares them for Dumbledore's army and, and the teaching that goes on in the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, oh, true. The impediment curse, the reductor curse. We know that Ginny uses that in the uh, the Department of Mysteries. The shield charm. And, and there's a bunch more that, as it goes on. But, you know, I, I thought, you know, there's the ability of J.K. Rowling to kind of lay that groundwork in advance. Yeah, yeah they're going to be. And But is it late in the game? For, for, for all these charms, I mean, this is really the first time that they're actually gonna just be attacked by stuff. Right? I mean, they have to prepare for everything, and then that, 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 uh, I wanna say the shock of, of really having to face a magical creature in this third task is actually what spawns them to do some of their, their most brilliant uh, studies. I mean, well, again, remember, they're 14, 15 yeah, years exactly. old. That's it's, what it's, I was gonna say. <laughs> they're not, when you're in school, I don't think, you're at the level yet where you're going to be expecting to have to use this level of 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 a uh, spell against other right, people. Yeah. I mean, and that's why there's an age limit on the Triwizard Tournament oh, okay. because because these youngins really shouldn't have to practice these spells. Okay, that's a good point. I don't think. I feel like at least one time every episode we have to remind ourselves that <laughs> they're fourteen. <laughs> Lately, yes, that's been the case. I think. So. uh you know, as the chapter goes on, uh, J.K. Rowling keeps referring to the confidence uh, that Harry has with this tournament, or sorry, with this particular task. And you know, why do you guys think that is? Why is he more confident with the third task? You know, Moody gives him a little bit of encouragement in the last few chapters. He is training a lot more. Uh, you know, as opposed to you know thinking about how the first two tasks went. You know, it was it was more just oh they're dragons oh shoot how am I going to get uh you know past the dragon and then he was completely unprepared for the second task uh if not for Dobby and uh, or is it just more that the fact that the tournament it's going to be over you know this is it this uh, I'm more confident because yeah, it's he over sees, yeah he sees light at the end of the tunnel he sees that at his age he can take on these tasks since he successfully completed the first two. So, yeah, I think he's just feeling more confident because of uh, what he's done so and I far. Think, I think Harry has the attitude where um, he, he sees that things, not just the light at the end of the tunnel, but he sees that things are coming to a head where he's had that dream again, you know, and he, he's asked Dumbledore, do you think it was real? And Dumbledore says, I would even say it was probable. Um, you know, he feels like the reason he's he's the fourth champion in the Triwizard Tournament is going to be explained to him. It's kind of, it's not... Well, it is the formula of the books to have the conclusion at the end, you know, after a great mystery. But I think that Harry really does feel that uh, things are going to be explained and that, that he can uh, tackle them. I, I think he's got this this determination because, again, he's seen how these families have been ripped apart. Uh, Neville's is only the most recent example, uh, you know, by Voldemort. And he just really has this this desire to end Voldemort. Uh, which has just been building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, kind of moving on with this chapter, 
you know, during this training session, uh, what happens is, you know, as a plot point, they see Malfoy out on the grounds, you know, almost like he's whispering into a walkie-talkie. And, uh, you know, Hermione kind of berates Ron and Harry and says, how many times do I have to tell you that stuff doesn't work here? And, uh, you know, the next day we see this article written by Rita Skeeter, uh, and uh, it quotes Malfoy, and it also quotes the incident that took place in Divination. And I thought Rita Skeeter made a huge mistake by saying that, you know, she saw him leaving the class, uh, you know, in this state of mind. Why not just say that she heard from a student or she actually quotes one of the students who were in the, uh, in the class? Why not do that? Why say that you were physically there? Because by doing that, I think that gave herself away to Hermione. Um, I know you got to do that to advance the plot, but the, but maybe she just wants to make the students look bad. <laughs> well, she, you I know. think, I feel like the suspicion was growing because she was, you know, from directly quoting students like Pansy Parkinson after um, being banished from Hogwarts grounds, she's already drawing attention to herself. The, the, I, I don't think anybody else would have been able to gather the secret about her as Hermione was able to. After, um, you know, and the other thing is Hermione has taken it very personal, you know, because there was that that interview about Crumb and and or that expose about Crumb and Hermione's relationship. And so Hermione, above all, is just really curious and really focused on determining what's going on. But I think I think uh, Skeeter is just completely lost in in the emotion of of wanting a story and, and smearing people. She's completely forgotten how to be covert about it. And at this point is, is, is writing things like you've seen him leave and was there in person. And, and it just, it, it's really not the smart thing to do, but it allows, um, yeah, the plot to advance, but also it gives Hermione the key she needs. I don't think any other witch would have been able to figure it out though. I think Dumbledore, maybe if Dumbledore's attention were on it, he could figure it out, but I don't think anybody else would. Yeah. And, and you see uh, as it plays out, Harry makes a comment about, you know, Hermione, you're supposed to be the one figuring out uh, if there's any bugging going on. And and that's really when the light bulb goes off in Hermione's head. And, uh, you know, I was just wondering, did you guys catch that the first time? You know, I know it, it's been a while since we all first read Goblet of Fire, but, you know, d- did you say to yourself, hmm, you know, did you connect the pieces of the puzzle? No. Bugging. No, because bugging, it's, okay, it's not like it's a British term and I'm American, so growing up I didn't understand it. I know what bugging is, but it's kind of an odd word to choose where you're like, Oh, to bug something is to like, you know, have a, like a security microphone, but then she's a bug so she can hear it. It's brilliant is what it is, but it's almost, it's almost too brilliant. It's almost like too far above your head. Later, when Hermione comes and reveals it to Harry, oh, bugging. We're all like, as the audience, we're like, oh, bugging. So, uh, after their, uh, this, this is all taking place in the Great Hall when they're having this conversation. And then Harry finds out that the champion's families are, there to support them and you know harry kind of goes through this period where he's unsure as to whether or not he wants to go and you know join all the families that have shown up to support uh the champions because he's 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 saying to himself oh the dursleys are they really going to show up are they really going to be here to support me and i think there was almost a moment where as much as he detests the dursleys he was almost hoping that they were going to be there you know am am i the only one that saw it that way Cause it, I don't know. I, like, surely they were, the Dursleys were approached. They were asked, hey, can, you want to come to Harry's 
could be know, the last day of his life. <laughs> yeah, it could be. You could Th- watch him die, which be you there. may like. They'd want to be there, though, wouldn't they? <laughs> to watch yeah, him die, they're, yeah. But they're muggles. They're, you know, it's like, well, if Hermione was a champion, would her parents be, you know, I, I just... Uh, it'd be interesting. I think. I think the way Harry is feeling, though, he does. He would like to share his his trouble with people. It's why he has friends. It's why he loves because he could use that support right now. I mean, he's about to get himself involved in a really life and death matter. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I think part of him did hope that the Dursleys were there, but I thought it was kind of cool that it was Mrs. Weasley and and Bill that show up. And uh, there is this quote. Um, on page 616, uh, where Fleur Delacour, uh, Harry noticed was eyeing Bill with great interest over her mother's shoulder. So, uh, all the way back in Goblet of Fire, the groundwork, uh, is being laid for this. Um, for Bill and Fleur? Yeah. Do you think, uh, do you think Bill affects Fleur the way Vila affects boys? Definitely. She seems to have this look, right? This great, this eyeing Bill with great interest. She doesn't even know who he is, but she sees him and she's like, oh, hot man. Yes. Like, <laughs> what is it about Bill? Is it his long hair? The guy with long hair turns four Love on. is love, Eric. You'll, right. you'll learn someday. All right. All right. So we get some cool backstory. I'll just run through this real quick. Um, you know, when, when they're all together, uh, Bill talks about, uh, you know, his time at Hogwarts, as does Mrs. Weasley. And, uh, you know, there's a story that Mrs. Weasley tells uh, about the fat lady and how... Uh, you know, she came back late one night and, and couldn't get into the uh, the, the common room. So uh, it's revealed that she was out with Mr. Weasley uh, taking a little bit of a stroll, whatever that means. Use your imaginations. <laughs> it means stroll, Micah. Uh-huh, it just yeah, means stroll. A little, uh, a little trip down to the that, Black Lake. I got to um, tell you, that birch tree by the lake has probably seen more action than the last five directors of Bruce Willis movies. I'll yeah. So... Uh, yeah, but it's mentioned that Mr. Weasley actually has the, the marks to prove it, that they were out late past their uh, um, curfew. Um, so it, it is true. You know, we hear Filch mention it uh, from time to time in the series, but clearly they did used to beat the students. If you're talking about marks to prove it, clearly this Pringle dude who was uh, the caretaker <laughs> there. Yeah, it's good they stopped doing that. Yeah, I think that, that wouldn't have been fun to read. Yeah. Um Og used to be the gamekeeper, and the Whomping Willow. I know this. This may have been a, a point that a lot of people wrote in on. Uh, you know, when it was written, it wasn't there when Mrs. Weasley went to school. So I, I want to know how old is she? I mean, she's older than Lupin now, based on this information. She's older than Harry's parents uh, and and all the Marauders. You know, and and how long does it take a Whomping Willow to? Uh, unless it was just put there in its full, uh, you know form you know because you think it would take a while for it it takes years for trees to grow yeah i mean well fortunately with magic you could just do engorgio or there are shrinking solutions that de-age but you know so i think there with magic you have a little bit of leeway um but as far as her age i think i think ages is another thing where joe you know joe has said she's not good at math and so when there are these characters that are a little bit older, but then old enough to not have attended Hogwarts at the same time, but not much younger either. I, I think it's 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 one of those things where just in between the lexicon will probably have timelines. All right, um, so we, we we finally get to the third task. Uh, you know, most of the chapter is the build up to it as opposed to the task itself. And uh, uh, you know, as the task begins, 
Harry doesn't have too much trouble getting through this maze, and you know, obviously we learn later that it's because of Moody slash Barty Crouch Jr., but, uh, you know, it's interesting. He counters a Boggart, he encounters some mist that flips the maze upside down, and then he faces a blast-ended Scroot. And this is all prior to Crumb, him finding Crumb, you know, performing this unforgivable curse on Cedric. So, uh, you know, not too much for him to encounter, uh, and I think that maybe should have raised a little bit of suspicion on people's parts. Yeah. And, uh... You know, we get to the point where uh, they're they're able to together overcome Crumb, uh, who we find out later was put under the Imperius curse. And you know, Cedric goes ahead and, and he shoots up these red sparks into the air. And I was wondering how can he do this? I mean, because it is coming from his wand, so it almost signifies that he's left the tournament, right? Not Crumb, because it's not Crumb who's you know Set up giving his wand. in. How can, not only that, but how can he, you know, essentially forfeit on behalf of another student? That doesn't make sense to me. Right. Yeah, I, I got the same impression where, you know, they're told, release sparks and you will be picked up. And, and, and but, but it's like, it's you, it's your one. So when he does it for somebody else, uh, you can understand he's warning that, that's, you know, there's a champion down, that they are found at this location. So it has its uses, but it is his, like, it's his forfeiture. It's not anybody else's because you shouldn't right. be able to do that for somebody else. I, I, it's one of those, uh, yeah. they, they talk about, you know, we don't want him to get eaten by a blast and screwed or something like that. But, you know, by Cedric doing it, it should have been Cedric who was disqualified from the tournament because th- th- it doesn't make any sense. I mean, th- that's just my opinion on it. And, you know, uh, who's to say then that they didn't think that Cedric attacked Crumb if, you know, there's a champion down and he's the one shooting sparks into the air? So, I don't know. Just a little bit of a weird plot development there. But uh, they they go their separate ways. Harry encounters the Sphinx. And is able to solve the riddle, which, you know, that riddle with the spider, I mean, that created a million different editorials and uh, other things that were written about Snape, and it went on forever. I know we probably spent a whole episode discussing that. Probably. Um, I don't know. We could go find it somewhere. Maybe Um, this was supposed to be our our whole episode devoted to the poem. Well, guess what they end up encountering as they make their way to the... uh, to the cup because once Harry gets past the Sphinx, he is he meets up again with Cedric and he sees Cedric running ahead of him and Cedric gets attacked uh, by a spider, uh, which is the clue or is the uh, it's the uh, answer to the clue that the Sphinx uh, gave. So uh, they're able to defeat that spider and uh, after much debate between the two of them, they decide to go ahead and uh, and take the cup together. And okay. that's where the chapter ends. I wonder what would have happened if, you know, they hadn't helped each other out, you know, with these other tasks, who would have ended up taking the cup? Or, yeah, who would have ended up touching the cup Yeah, to win? Well, I if I were Harry, I, I think Harry's a little... I think Harry would have given it to Cedric. Well, he tried. I mean, but he... And especially because he has a messed up uh, leg at, at the that's end of true, this... That's true, right, uh, right. ...at this chapter. So, uh, but, you know, and, and Harry also brought up the point, like, this would give Hufflepuff more glory than it 
has had in who knows how many years. All right, next week we will get back to three chapters because uh, according to Eric, they're all short. So we'll, we'll they're never we'll look short at when Eric does <laughs> thirty two, <laughs> so thirty two, thirty three, and thirty four. So if you have any comments about those chapters, if you would like to write an editorial that will feature on MuggleNet and MuggleCast, feel free to send them in. Uh, now today's Twitter question: Do you plan on visiting the making of Harry Potter studio tour at Leavesden in in the UK? Here's a couple of the responses we got from Nolson3193. I will definitely be visiting the studio tours. I think it will give a more authentic reaction than that of the Wizarding World. It's pretty true. You won't get more uh, authentic than the sets themselves that you see on screen. Uh, Smiley Sammy R says, duh, of course I'm going to go. It's a Harry Potter set. I'll go as soon as I get my passport. A lot of people are going to have to get passports for this. <laughs> M. Gray 21 wrote, I would love to visit the HP Studio Tour. Unfortunately, living in the U.S., it's expensive to fly overseas. WB should come up with contests for free trips. Tickled Lemonade wrote, Definitely, I've always wanted to see the sets in real life, and it's a lot closer than Orlando for people who live in Europe. That's very true as well. And finally, M's Bems wrote, yeah, I defo will, because I live in London, and I think it is a must for any Harry Potter fan. I'd feel like part of HP history. Smiley. So there's some of the responses we've got from people who follow us. Our Twitter account is twitter.com slash MuggleCast, and we use that account to let you know when we're recording the next show, uh, when the show will be available, what we're planning for the next show, etc., etc., and uh, now it's time for another fun segment, as promised earlier, Make the Music Connection. I have two songs here, each for one of the lovely co-hosts I'm speaking with. Uh, Micah, are you aware of the hot artist right now, Adele? Uh, I've heard of her, yeah. She's pretty hot right now. Um, here is your song. It's a great song. There's a fire starting in my heart Reaching a fever pitch and it's bringing me out the dark Finally I can see you crystal clear Go ahead and sell me out and I'll lay your ship bare See how I'll leave with every piece of you So this is Rolling in the Deep by Adele. I'll give you some more lyrics. We could have had it all, yeah. Rolling in the Deep, and you played it to the beat. Yeah, it, it seems uh, pretty insinuating. Uh, but uh, no, you know, I, I just the, the tone of it, like that drum beating, it's kind of like a war drum almost, yeah. I thought. And it, it would be cool to have that as the battle is about to take place. You know, kind of kind of ignoring the lyrics a little bit. But, uh... <laughs> Could have yeah. had it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll take a pass on that. But, you know, just just kind of the tone of the song. It seems like, you know, two two sides are about to go to war with each other. And, uh, you know, it, it would be kind of interesting to see it, see it play during that. Well, that's kind of what Adele is writing about. She, you know, her versus this man who, who left her. She okay. sounds like she would win, though, in a fight. <laughs> she's, she looks tough. I think she could take on a guy. 
Um, all right, Eric, I understand you were recently at a Lady Gaga concert. Oh, no. Lady Gaga, I understand, is one of your favorite all-time artists. You've been moved and inspired by her. Definitely and of course, her new, Definitely her looking, new single. Her. Yes. You like looking at it, right? Yeah. Okay, that's your excuse. Well, uh, she has a new single out, Born This Way, as I'm sure you saw her perform, and uh, you need to make the connection. Just put your paws up. Cause you were born this way, baby. Put him up, serious. Put your paws up. <laughs> My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of her boudoir. Beautiful in my own way. God makes no mistakes. I was born this way. Eric, make the connection, please. This is Luna Lovegood's theme song. I was, I Luna was thinking, Lovegood? Yeah, yeah, because I was thinking her relationship with her mother. She's like, my mama told me I was, you know, it's just, it's, mm. it's, it's like, I think Luna does her own thing. Luna above, I was going to say Neville and like the Dumbledore's army where they're all like, you know, we were this way. We're going to fight. We're going to, this is what we believe in. This is who we are. Um. And then I thought it would just kind of be Luna, but but I think in general, or you know, more broad, the Dumbledore's army. It's 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 their it's their it's their world, and they're taking it back. I think it really could apply to any outcast in the or you know uh, minority in the Harry Potter yes, but my books. I, I was also th- <laughs> I was also thinking Hagrid. Hagrid would be a good one. <laughs> Hagrid's theme. I was born that way. <laughs> That's my bad Hagrid impression. We need to get Ben to sing Born This Way as Hagrid. As I Hagrid. Be I agree. I completely agree. Maybe at Leaky. So that's how we play Make the Music Connection. And now it's time for Muggle Mail. And this first one is about episode our previous episode. It's from Lucy16 of Toronto, Canada. I was just listening to your most recent episode, number 221. Andrew was talking about how Dumbledore should have been more careful about setting up the third task now that he knew that Voldemort was getting stronger. I was just thinking that maybe Dumbledore actually wanted Harry to meet with Voldemort and that this was essentially all part of Dumbledore's master plan. When Harry returned to Hogwarts from his trip to the graveyard, he tells Dumbledore that Voldemort had used Harry's blood to resurrect himself. After Harry finishes telling this part of the story, J.K. Rowling writes, quote, For a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes, but in the next second, Harry was sure he had imagined it. Could Dumbledore have possibly known at that time that Voldemort would attempt to take Harry's blood and, ve- and therefore did not try to prevent fake Moody from planting it, from planting the port key in the middle of the maze? After all, it was this event that allowed Harry to live in the seventh book. Voldemort took in part of Lily's protection, therefore tethering Harry to life while Voldemort himself lived. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm a relatively recent addition to your League of Faithful listeners, and I'm loving it so far. Keep up the great work. Lots of love, Lucy. So we've talked about this before. Dumbledore having that gleam of triumph in yes. his eye. We've always speculated what it could be. Well, it's a, it's a good question, but I think that this is this is taking it. Uh, this is crossing my my personal line, the line I personally draw to see how far Dumbledore will go. Um, 
earlier in the chapter that we did for this episode, the pensive, um, it's it's kind of questionable whether or not Dumbledore intended for Harry to find the pensive. Um you know, because because he just leaves Harry alone in his office with the door open to the pensive, that I can see. I don't think that Dumbledore would be so willing to have Harry and Voldemort confront each other. Definitely not enough to ha- to just ignore fake Moody. You know, to in into into causing the events that happen. I think, sure, Dumbledore's gleam of triumph happens, and it, it is all because Harry can survive. Then after that, but I think Dumbledore, like anybody, would prefer Voldemort not come back to life <laughs> yeah. um, in a body, and, and much more so than having Harry have like a reunion with him. And, and Cedric Diggory dying, Dumbledore loses a lot. Um, by Voldemort coming back to full power, as which mm-hmm. which happens. So I don't think, I don't yeah, think he doesn't want any interest. student to die under his watch. All right, Micah. Next email, please. Next email comes from Lucy Rayner, eighteen of the UK, and she wants to know about wizard marriage. She says a weird and kind of random question came to me today, and I thought I know. I'll ask the Muggle casters. Do you think that when wizards and witches get married, they have to make the unbreakable vow to say that they'll stand by one another forever? It seems to me that if you're, you are not willing to do so, then you shouldn't really be getting married. And so it seems like a good idea to stop people getting married just because society says they should, because they just want a wedding. In effect, getting married is the equivalent of making the unbreakable vow, till death do us part. However... There are many, many cases in the real world where there is a legitimate reason for ending a marriage, and it would seem kind of unfair to prevent this. I know it's a sort of random question, but I really wanted to know what you thought. Hope you're all happy and smiling. I th- I think we should get a look at the Wizarding Vows, because I think it'd be uh, interesting to see if there's the same as the ones in the Wizarding World, or in the Muggle World. Yeah, I, you know, it's an unbreakable vow. I think that's, uh, that's a little too much. I mean, Why? Are you afraid you wouldn't be able to uphold it, Micah? <laughs> well, things happen. I mean, what what if your things uh, happen? What if your witch <laughs> cheats on you? You're not well, right. You can't That's get out. The... Yeah, mm. but so I mean, but so how does dead. it work though? Oh, yeah. I see. I see. Because so. she take, but the, but then then there's just that fear that doesn't need to. But exist. then she's gone. Where... I mean, yeah, <laughs> then she's gone. <laughs> yeah, well, like you'd always be worried <laughs> so, about. Being unfaithful because you're. I, I think it adds a complication. Like it's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, but I don't think it would be in practice simply because it, it it's it's too much. It's too. You know, people do change. Events happen. Things happen, and people need to be allowed to grow apart. It's a. It's a. It's part of human interaction. Mm, I would not date you guys, ladies. I hope you're listening <laughs> to what these two are saying. Uh, Eric, next email, please. <laughs> All right, fine. This email comes from Megan17 of Minnesota. She says, in episode 221 of MuggleCast, Eric was wondering why Dobby would steal Gillyweed from Snape. I do not think that Dobby took the Gillyweed himself, but that it was given to him by Barty Crouch Jr., he knew that Harry had not yet figured out how to go underwater. He also thought that it would be suspicious if Mad-Eye gave it to Harry, um, or if Mad-Eye gave Harry the solution to another task. So he gave the Gillyweed to Dobby, who knew that Harry would trust who, who he knew that Harry would trust. He saw the socks Dobby had made at the Yule Ball. I just thought I'd clear this up. You guys are great, Megan. So, uh, but I That's think it. Dobby would steal from him anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think Dobby, Dobby would do almost yeah, anything that's for true. Harry. Yeah. So, next email from Tom. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He just wants to know 
can you do the best way to see uh, the world of Harry Potter at the at Universal in a day? Um, he's taking his two kids that he's taking his kids there, and uh, he just wants to know what he shouldn't miss. I think for all of us having been there, I think it's very fair to say you will be able to get it all done in one day. The Wizarding World, you can definitely get done in one day. There will be lines, but the park is open long enough where if you get there in the morning and you stay there till close if you have to, you'll you'll be able to get on everything, experience everything in the Wizarding World. As for the rest of the park, it may take, you know, an extra day or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it I, depends what you want to do. I mean, like like you said, we've all been there, but but I think, you know, and depending on how old your kids are, you know, uh, I think the the rides are probably more geared towards uh, teenagers, right? I mean, the, it's the exception of the Hippogriff ride. Uh, well, that's coaster. that's one third of the park. Yeah, we can't overgeneralize here. <laughs> but I mean, I definitely yeah. go go and eat the three broomsticks. That that's yeah. always a lot of fun. Don't miss the food. That's my Go advice. check out all the the shops and stuff that they have there. Get some butter beer. Uh, yeah, and but you you will be able to do all this in one day. Oh yeah, no question. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. The lines yeah, have, most... have shortened from what the it seems the the yeah. papers have reported. And just they'll most... be back in the summertime too, though. Most of the fun so. comes from being yeah. in the park, just just sitting around, you know, and and definitely yeah. the food in the environment. Yeah, the the atmosphere is really, you know, there's wizards walking around, there's the music, the the themes from the from the movies over the years. Yeah. And also um, he, he added a postscript here that I thought was hilarious. He says, "Can you also make sure it is warm in Florida? We have had way too much snow in New Jersey this winter." Um, it will be warm. You don't have to worry. We'll about see that. what we can do, right? <laughs> I mean, right fellas, we'll we'll get together and make yeah. sure that it's we'll take not care of snowing. that for you. Yeah. Well, uh yeah, and talk to the uh the train uh, the Hogwarts conductor. He's always uh He's 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 a funny He's dude. an attraction in, in himself, as I've said before. Yeah. So. Uh, and finally just a birthday wish Claire 17 from Oxford, Ohio, uh said his her sister Molly is a huge fan of the show, as is she, and her 19th and her 19th birthday birthday is march 10th and so happy birthday molly love claire micah eric and andrew that of course happy birthday oh she says singing would also be greatly no happy birthday to you before you turn off the show today after hearing my singing voice we'd like to remind you that we're going to be at LeakyCon, LeakyCon.com. July 13th at 17th in Orlando, Florida. We're going to be doing podcasts, and hopefully within the next couple of months, we'll tell you exactly when those podcasts are taking place. But no matter what, it's going to be a fantastic time. Uh, we're going to be, at the, you know, there's going to be the ball, the party in the park, tons of great panels, all going in-depth in Harry Potter. It's going to be so much fun. So visit LeakyCon.com, and when you register, use referral code MUGGLE, and we cannot wait to see you there. It's going to be an absolute blast. And uh, also another plug for my podcast, Hype, the new show that I do with uh, MuggleCast host Ben, who's also going to be at LeakyCon. We keep (laughs) forgetting to bring that up. (laughs) Visit HypePodcast.com and you'll get to hear the intelligent ramblings of Ben and I. And uh, we're soon going to be moving to a weekly format, which I haven't done for a podcast in a while. So, <laughs> well, you could. And we may if also you do video. <laughs> so, I'm going to have to start we- wearing clothes when I podcast as well. So. Oh, that's a shame. You don't wear clothes when we podcast? Uh, I don't. But I speak for myself. And the final plug today from MuggleCast.com. You're going to find all the information you need about each and every show. You're going to find links to our sponsors as well as our Twitter, which is Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Our Facebook, which is Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. And also, 
Please follow us on Tumblr if you use Tumblr. There's two great fans, Allie and Angel, who run the account, mugglecast.tumblr.com, and you'll get little updates about the show there, uh, fan art, uh, little clips. They do a really good job you know, running they, it. They, so. they, I think they favor you, Andrew. <laughs> if I don't, why? They just they tend to post the amount of Andrew Sims content. Well, I'm on most that interesting. Tumblr. That's true. I'm most interesting. That's yeah. true. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And uh, well, uh, I was going to say something about our next episode, but but I'm not sure. Um, you know, th- there, there's a good chance that there might be a trailer. Um, that that, oh, that, that will come between <laughs> now and. Uh, our our next scheduled episode. Don't get your hopes up. That's all I have to say. What if what if the trailer is just J.K. Rowling like coming on screen and being like pen and hey. paper are priority? <laughs> I wonder if that's like a you know like a little dirty slang or something like that. Like pen and paper are priority. Oh, Micah, no, I not dirty. Talked slang. enough crap on uh, Joe today. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> 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 thanks everyone for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Ben Sh- No, I'm Micah Tannenbaum. <laughs> we'll see you next time for episode 223. Goodbye, everybody. 223. Two, Bye.